1: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has
0: free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Let's go!
1: This is The Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni on VSN, the sports betting network.
2: Team USA may be out, but we are locked in on a Sunday morning edition of the Lombardi line presented as always by BetMGM, alongside former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. I'm Stormy Tony. We got plenty to cover in the NFL as training camps roll on plus this hour specifically honing in on the Dolphins and Packers with some help from Sports Illustrated beat writers Omar Kelly and Bill Huber. Thomas Gable is going to join the show in his usual Sunday spot hour two as well talking college football futures, despite the future of college football looking a little bleak right now. But uh, anyways, Michael, on a lighter note, great to see you.
3: (laughs) Yes. Great to see you. Yes. I, we haven't talked since you, you know, the PAC 12 has dissolved itself away and we don't know what happened, but it did. There's going to be a lot of behind the scenes, how this happened. I mean, Larry Scott is the biggest villain of all apparently with his decision to make it the PAC 12 network, but look once 108 years just down the drain it's sad but uh pro college football will go on let's face it there's too many good schools and this will all kind of reorganize itself, and we'll get accustomed to it.
2: It certainly will. I was laughing because I was out there at Pac-12 Media Days, and I got um, a bag, right? The, a nice little Pac-12 <laughs> duffel bag that they give you, and I was joking. It's already, nice. already a collector's S- item. Love that Save for it. me. Yes.
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll mention to Sienna Lynn, my granddaughter, to look for that on eBay 50 years from now, and she has to buy, you know, it might be, a, it might be worth a lot, right?
2: It's r- rough life, and you're right, though, about the Pac-12 network. I can't tell you how many times I'd be... In Oregon covering a game and at the hotel can't watch whatever game is on Pac-12 Network because it's not available. It's just one of those weird things. But we will discuss that. Like I said, college football a little bit later. And of course, as the weekdays get rolling tomorrow on Monday. But I know we're talking a lot of football today. Gotta start with football because Team USA. I I woke up this morning, Michael, and I turn on the TV and USA and Sweden are just about to start. Extra time. 0-0 zero, zero draw. I'm watching the whole thing going to penalty kick, sh- going to the penalty kick shootout. My heart is racing and Team USA doesn't get it done. They fall 5-4 in the PK shootout. Just a brutal, brutal way for Team USA to go out. And the first time that they have lost in the World's Cup this early.
3: Yeah, this this is, you know, I, I don't you know, follow soccer as well as you do, but I follow the USA. I root for the USA. I want the USA to win, and this is disappointing. Yeah. You know, this is really uh, something that we strive for to be competitive and to, to be at the top echelon of our of any sport that we participate in. So it's rather, you know, when I saw that score, it was rather disappointing.
2: Such a cruel way to lose in a shootout, yeah. too. I hate that it has to come down to that. But, like I said, out in the round of 16, the earliest exit for the U.S. women's national team in World Cup history. This, of course, comes after winning the last two World Cups um, and a lack of offense, clearly a big problem for the U.S. women throughout the course of the tournament. Outshot, outshot Sweden today, 11 to 1. So they had their chances, just couldn't capitalize on them. Um, but Sweden onto the semifinals there, plus 750 shot to win it all. Now England, your favorite at plus 225, followed by Spain, three to one, Japan, five to one. Let's talk about things that are a little bit happier, like the Hall of Fame induction that took place yesterday, Michael, out in Canton, Ohio. Nine new members, including Darrell Rivas and Joe Thomas, the two players selected in their first year of eligibility, had an incredible speech from DeMarcus Ware. Um, A lot of stuff, but just what were some of your big takeaways from the induction yesterday?
3: Well, I was happy to see Don Coryell get in the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves it. I think there's others that belong before him. Clark Shaughnessy, the father of the forward pass, uh, he does. But I was happy to see him recognize. One of the things I wrote about in Football Done Right, which comes out September 5th, was sometimes coaches can't control the circumstances that they're in. And when you work for a bad owner, which clearly has been the case in Coriel's career, originally with Bid Bidwell at St. Louis and then with Gene Klein at San Diego. It's very difficult to match, and that team that they assembled down in San Diego was so talented, but they had contract disputes. They kept complaining about it, and the owner wasn't willing to put a lot of the money into it. If, had had Coriel been with Eddie DiBarlo, he might have won three Super Bowls. So you have to put that in perspective. And I also think, too, That the NFL, there's a movement going on now, which is what I wrote. The book is essentially about. There has to be layers to the NFL, Mm -hmm. to the Hall of Fame. And, you know, Zach Thomas made a lot of tackles, and he's tremendous. And his numbers stack up really well in terms of when you look at it, you know, he's put seven Pro Bowls, you know, uh, AP all one the first team, you know, 950 tackles, all those stuff, 20 and a half sacks. I mean, great career. But there's other guys that I think, you know, you have to wonder about why they aren't in. You know, Randy Gratishire, for example, he's not in. I think there's not enough attention paid to the older players. Look, Joe Thomas was easy to put in. Mm-hmm. Revis is easy to put in. Those guys are no brainers. It's the ones in there. Rondi Barber, he has to get in. And this is gonna sound mean and cruel, but it's somewhat of a fact. When they put John Lynch in, Lynch wasn't the best player in the Tampa Bay secondary. So once they put Lynch in, they had to put Barber in, who was the best player.
2: Revolutionized the nickelback position.
3: This is what happens. And so, yeah, no, it's funny you say that. Buddy Parker, the former head coach of the Detroit Lions, the last man to take the Lions to a championship, invented the nickel defense, not George Allen, Buddy Parker. And we can't get Buddy Parker in. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And speaking to your thought process of layers, by the way, uh, the young gun, Michael Parsons getting set to enter his third NFL season, just 24 years old. He has a similar mindset already eyeing the hall of fame down the line, but said, when you talk about great careers, when you talk about the hall of fame, I don't just want to make the hall of fame. I want to be known as one of the greatest hall of famers. And that's kind of that same thought process, right? The old Deion Sanders, like my jacket's not the same as your jacket, right?
3: Yeah, there that that's and that's the problem. And there should all the jackets should be alike. But the problem is they're letting more and more people in, and so now we have to have we have to have classes, and we have to have distinction. Yes, you're a Hall of Fame player, but you know you're in the, you're not in the hall. Of, I mean, here there's Don Coryell's in. Mike Shanahan's not in. Mike Holmgren's not in yet, right? Uh, Marty Schottenheimer's won 200 games, which is only one of nine people. He's not in. Dan Reeves, 200 wins. He's not in. So there there has to be a little bit more of a of an understanding. It's a political arena and that's why we need classes because it's easy to put great players in. It's those marginal ones and then once you put one that you like you put you put Tommy McDonald in and you put Harold Carmichael in. How do you keep some other players out? I'm not saying they don't belong in there, but they're gonna they're gonna be at a level that's different than Randy Moss's level,
2: for sure. And again, a reminder: Football Done Right coming out September 5th. Get the pre-orders in while you can. And I mean, it's so cool right now in the NFL watching so many players that we know are future Hall of Famers, like Aaron Rodgers yeah. walking through before the Hall of Fame game and looking at all the bus and knowing that his is going to be there one day. Um, a young guy like Patrick Mahomes who's only had a handful of years in the league, but already accomplished so much and you can't wait to see what more can grow from that. Let's get, um, continue moving along though, Michael, with some Reports that have been coming out of a number of these <laughs> training camps. And I always I have to, I have to make the I distinction of calling them these reports because these are great. They are. Uh, this segment called News or Noise, we're gonna hit a couple of the reports that are coming out of camp. And you let me know if this is legit news or something we should be ignoring. The Baltimore Ravens have had a you know relatively smooth sailing. We've heard so far that first week or so of training camp, but hit some rough waters this weekend, specifically offensively, quarterback. Lamar Jackson punted the ball downfield, threw his helmet in frustration after a play. Mark Andrews got an unsportsmanlike conduct for shouting an expletive at a referee, not for not getting a P.I. call. So um, some, you know, frustrations boiling over at camp. And this comes after O.C. Todd Monken said that the unit is not nearly where it needs to be. Is this news or noise?
3: Well, I think what Monken said is news, that they're not where they need to be. But how could they be, Right. How could they be when they're learning a new offense, when they're trying to change their identity? It's going to take some time. I think what we have to remember, we call training camp practice. All due respect to Allen Iverson, practice. A practice. And part of practice is mistakes. You want to make mistakes. It's not rehearsal. You're not going out there to be perfect. You want to make mistakes. So when I read about quarterbacks throwing interception in – Practice, right? They're trying to put the ball somewhere where it doesn't go. And what is the greatest thing a coach can have is when a player makes a mistake to coach him on it, when the mistake doesn't count. The mistake doesn't count. Mm -hmm. So the overreaction to a lot of this, to me, is more media driven than it is. On one hand, Moncton's right. That's news. They're going to take some time to get acquainted with the offense, it's going to take some comfort. It's going to take a lot of people to get together because remember all the OTA days in minicamp are different. There's no real pads or competition. Now they've got to work on it. It's going to be a work in progress.
2: And to your point, using that word perfect, John Harbaugh said they're chasing perfectionalism. Um, And so that's when you, when perfect is the goal, obviously there are going to be mistakes, but it's good that it's happening in practice. Speaking of practice, Jimmy Garoppolo Has thrown a lot of interceptions here so far, Michael. He had three of them in Saturday's padded practice. At least two others dropped by DBs. And four in an indoor non-padded practice. News or noise? How are we feeling about Jimmy G?
3: Well, I think, obviously, Jimmy can't throw the ball to the other team. He had 16 (laughs) touchdowns, four interceptions last year. But, look, I haven't been around Jimmy. And seeing Jimmy. Jimmy has never been an elite practice player. In fact, his first year that we were really concerned about Jimmy a lot. In 2014, we went to Richmond to scrimmage against then the Washington Redskins, and Jimmy was not very good. In the game, Jimmy became very good. Jimmy became a better game player than a practice player. I don't know what that means, but sometimes he may take too many chances. Look, he's learning a new offense. Mm -hmm. He hasn't been in this offense for a while. I mean, one thing I do know, once you get to the regular season and the game plan becomes tailored and you get those reps, you can work on it. Look. The best thing that could happen is let him throw the picks because now you could coach him on it. Now you got a chance to coach him up on it. That's the greatest thing a coach has.
2: And we do have to remember he missed the entire on-field portion of off-season practices to this point. You said he's still getting used to his receivers, learning everybody. And maybe this is – let's just take this as a good sign that maybe the defense is getting better. The Raiders could certainly use the help on that side of the ball. We got to step aside, turning our attention to the Green Bay Packers and Dolphins for the rest of the hour. Hello and welcome back to the Lombardi line on a Sunday this show as always presented by BetMGM. MGM we're coming to you from coast to coast former NFL executive Michael Lombardi at his office in Jersey. I'm Stormy Bonantoni live from our visa studio in downtown Las Vegas at Circa Resort and Casino got a great final hour ahead our great friend Thomas Gable director of the race and sports at the Borgata is going to join us in just a little bit break down some college football futures hopefully not too much about the future of college football because I'm just kind of over that after the way things have transpired mm-hmm. this weekend. Michael, well, but... It's just,
3: a, it's just a Pac-12, Stormy. That's all you're worried about. I mean, come Pac-12. on, the future of college football is great.
2: Is it, though? I don't want... A, the, the Power Five obviously no longer will exist, but I don't want a Power Two. I feel like college football is going to be just completely unrecognizable after the next five years.
3: Well, yeah, I do, but there's always, you know, there's always an opportunity for... Teams to emerge, right? Cincinnati went to the Final Four two years ago, right? It it, it it takes good coaching. It takes, you know, one thing about. Everybody makes a big deal about the recruiting, right? And recruiting is important, but we, how many five stars don't turn out? How, I mean, look at Clemson; they've not been able to figure out the quarterback position since Deshaun Watson left, mm-hmm. and they've gotten five stars every year. So, I, I I think it, you know, it all comes down to obviously the NIL changed the direction of everything. But I do think we'll find our niche. Now, I think schools in the MAC and those, th- that's going to be the harder programs. Yeah.
2: Well, and that's what I am. I am somebody that loves West Coast football. I love Group of Five football. And so, yeah. being kind of more of a traditionalist in the sense that I love the regionality of college football and the rivalry and tradition, seeing that slowly go away. And to quote the wonderful song, Dollar Dollar Bill, y'all, money rules everything around me. <laughs> that is what we're seeing in college football, that it's becoming a professional entity instead of what we've known and loved about college football for so many years. So I'm not going to go crazy down that road, down that tangent. We got lots of NFL news and notes and headlines to hit Michael. So let's start off this hour with a Sunday edition of no way or no doubt. Roll it.
3: Do you disagree with these takes? No way.
1: No, no doubt. No doubt. My mind.
0: No diggity, no doubt. It's time to ask Michael Lombardi. No way or no doubt.
2: All right, Michael, we're going to see whether you agree or have no interest in any of these headlines. But okay, let's get off started with normally in the preseason, we don't see a ton of starters play, especially when it comes to veteran quarterbacks. But could it be important for this veteran NFL QB Broncos head coach Sean Payton says starters will play in their preseason opener this coming Friday including potentially their quarterback Russell Wilson Nathaniel Hackett didn't have Wilson take a single snap in the preseason a year ago and ended up having the worst year of his career so no way or no doubt Russell and the Broncos starters do need to play these preseason games a little bit
3: no doubt everybody needs to play a little bit right I'm not sure running backs need to play I think one of the reasons why Zeke Elliott hasn't signed, and Dalvin Cook hasn't signed, is because they really don't want to go to camp this early. There's too many three preseason games, too many padded practices. I get that. But there are skilled players that need to play. And your quarterback needs to play. And remember, Sean Payton is from the Bill Parcells school of of, of preseason. He wants his offensive linemen to get work. Parcells believed the offensive linemen were like boxers. If they didn't spar enough in the summer... They weren't going to be ready for the fight come September. And I think Sean Payton understands that as well. And I think it'll be good for their team. Look, even Sean McVay, the man who doesn't want anything to do with preseason football, said he's changed his mind because he's got such a young team. He's going to play his guys this summer.
2: Russell Wilson, tough year. A season ago, completed a career-low 60.5% of his passes, career-low 16 touchdowns, all while being sacked. 55 times so maybe a little preseason action will do him good especially learning this new system under Sean Payton now our guy Jamar Chase did not like what he saw this preseason with Joe Burrow getting hurt doesn't want him to start the season if he's not ready says he told Burrow that with all honesty I don't want you here quote I told him as long as you're there after week five and on We're good brother, (laughs) so no way or no doubt Michael Joe Burrow should consider skipping that week one opener against the Browns to ensure he's fully healthy when it matters most this season.
3: I think no doubt here, but I'm not sure he can miss five weeks Mm. like they've been five and four the last two seasons going into their bye week and they've been able to come back and win those games, won some tough games, Kansas City at home, San Francisco that they lost to them, but they were able to play well down the stretch I think the way the AFC is with so many talented teams I think it's going to be hard to go five and four and then play a tough schedule and overcome it so I think they got to get off to a little bit of a better start I'm not saying they need to go nine and zero, but I don't know if you can go five and four and still hold on
2: head coach Zach Taylor when asked about Joe Burrows timeline to return said still several weeks from when I last said several so Not a great start there. Um, The Bengals are currently a one-point favorite in Cleveland for that opener in week one. Let's go to the Detroit Lions here. Um, They have Uh been playing at Ford Field since 2002. You know what? I'm just going to let Dan Campbell say what he's going to say before I hit you with the question. Let's get it in there. All right, go
1: ahead. Wait, I feel wind underneath my freaking wings, man. That's what I feel. Truthfully? Truthfully it uplifts you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this man. This is outstanding. I love our fans. I love that. man. they feel it like we feel it. And uh, no, this is not a burden. This is not pressure. This is not weight. This is man. This gives me inspiration is what it does for me.
2: That was his reflection on the Detroit Lions having A season ticket sellout at Ford Field, the place that they've been located at since 2002. First time that that's happened for the team. No way or no doubt the Lions can live up to all of these expectations in 2023.
3: Well, I think there's no doubt they can. It's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take the same level of production that they had the last nine games of the season. Look, I think what gets missed often is the fan bases of some of these teams that haven't won. This Detroit Lions fan base is outstanding. First of all, Michigan, the state of Michigan loves football. Obviously, we know at University of Michigan, Michigan State, Central Michigan, all those directional schools, it's a football state, and they love the Lions. The Lions just haven't given them anything to love. So I think that fan. Now, one of the things I've always dreamed about was to be general manager, to be a general manager of a dome stadium. Because of the crowd noise, because it's so hard to hear, it's such an advantage. The snap count is the only advantage the offense has. And when you go into Detroit and you can't hear it, you lose your advantage. So this is a great opportunity. They're going to have a sellout crowd. They're going to be really involved. This is their moment. They need to take advantage of it and we'll see if they can.
2: Speaking to those expectations, Dan Campbell, co-favorite to win coach of the year. First time this team has been favored to make the playoffs in over 15 seasons. It's their shortest odds to win a Super Bowl since 1996, and the first time that they've been favored to win the NFC North since it was formed in 2002. So, high expectations to have to live up to. We'll see if they can reach that bar. Let's go to the Indianapolis Colts and talk your favorite Uh subject, running backs. Jonathan Taylor, we're still trying to figure out what's going to happen there after requesting a trade out of Indy with the running back situation, though, in flux, RB2 getting injured. They went out and signed running back Kenyon Drake, as they announced yesterday. How are you feeling about this, though, Michael? No way or no doubt, JT will start week one in Indy.
3: Uh, no doubt, he'll start Week One. Okay. I think there's no doubt he will, um, and without a new contract, because unless he can't rehab, I mean, he needs a good season. I mean, let's face it, he needs. If he comes in and he's hurt and doesn't play, are you sure someone's going to want to pay you 15 million a year? Are they going to pay you three million above market when you're not healthy and you've not and you've been a problem? Again, I keep saying this: nobody wants somebody else's problems. So I think it's imperative for him to get healthy and I think he needs to stop listening to his agent and start doing what's right. I'm not saying the Colts are right, but he I'm saying what he said is right. Mm-hmm. April 19th, I put the pen to paper. I made the decision. I signed the contract. I'm obliged to it.
2: Signs a new agent, gets on a Zoom call, whole new mentality over a matter of months. He
3: got promised, he got promised something that that agent can't deliver. I mean, he got promised something that agent can't deliver. That's and, just fact.
2: And I'm tired of like using social media as a way to air your grievances and figure stuff out. Like, let's be yeah. grown-ups here, shall we? Also, I must have glossed over this one in the rundown before I opened this because we were talking about conference realignment, and now here we are yet again. Take a listen to Washington State head coach Jake Dickert, real quick.
1: The old question was how long would it take TV money to destroy college football? Maybe we're here. You know, maybe we're here. You know, to think even remotely five years ago the Pac-12 would be in this position it's unthinkable to think that we're here today and to think that local rivalries are at risk and fans driving four hours to watch their team play in a road game and rivalries is at risk to me is unbelievable.
2: I feel like you're going to hit me with a no way but I need a no doubt conference realignment will be damaging to the future of the sport.
3: Uh, For some schools there's no doubt like Washington State, Oregon State, it will be damaging because they were the they relied on the Big 10, the Pac-12 to carry them. And there's some schools that are not on the are on the outside looking in. San Diego State and the Mountain West. There's some schools without this will have a hard time surviving. Washington State will have a hard time being an elite program because they were affiliated with the Pac-12. Same thing with Oregon State. So it will affect some of these schools. And unfortunately, they got caught. I agree with Coach. I mean, let 10 years ago, uh, 2000. I mean, there was Stanford was in the top five college, and so was Oregon. They were the best programs in the country. And Larry Scott systematically decided to utilize that Pac-12 network, and it destroyed him. There was no syndication. There was no ability to watch the games. Stan? And that really ruined it.
2: Stanford, I feel, is the biggest loser in all of this, especially when it comes to their Olympic sports. They are a pipeline university to the Olympics, and if they were to go to a a Mountain West or a lesser-than conference, financially, that's going to take a toll, and that's going to significantly hit their Olympic sports. We always think about things under the umbrella of football, but there's so much more to be uncovered throughout this process. We'll have more college football a little later with Thomas Gable, but when we return, we got more blue chip, red chip. Looking at edge rushers this time around.
1: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, here is your host, Stormy Bonatone, on v the sports betting
2: network. Time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM has all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and more. You can download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your shade issued ID. You can open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back. To the Lombardi line, alongside Michael Lombardi, I'm Stormy Tony. In about 15 minutes, we'll have the one and only Thomas Gable, director of the Race and Sportsbook yes. at the Borgata, who will join us. But for now, Michael, we're going to give a little homage here to the GM Shuffle and the Blue Chip-Red mm-hmm. Chip series that you, of course, dive into every single year, breaking down the best of the best at some of the most important positions on the football field. Last week, we were talking off-ball linebackers. Today, we're on to the edge rushers. And one of the no way, no doubt items we actually didn't get to in the previous segment was about Micah Parsons, who we talked earlier in the show about the comments that he made about not only wanting to be a Hall of Famer, but being one of the best ever to play the game. Um, He is the favorite to win this year's NFL Defensive Player of the Year after finishing second in the voting once again this past season. I have to imagine he's pretty high on your blue chip list here.
3: Well, I think what he brings is the uniqueness to the game, right? I mean, he can play off the line. He can play on the line. And so when you're studying the game, that everybody has four rushers that rush the passer. And then somebody can be the fifth rusher. And sometimes... There are situations where a guy is a better fifth rusher than he is a fourth rusher. Now, what does that mean? That means that when everybody's occupied, he can win a one-on-one or he can create a right matchup. He can get into a matchup. And so when you are a really good fifth rusher or a really good fourth rusher, all of a sudden you're dynamic. When When we saw Jamal Adams have a lot of success rushing, he was the fifth rusher, but he was matched up on a running back. Once the NFL decided, you know what, Jamal Adams isn't a safety. He's a, he, we're going to count him as a defensive lineman or a linebacker, and we're going to put a big guy on him, his effectiveness went away. And so that ability is really rare to get to. You can sneak your way through it, but eventually the protection schemes pick up. Parsons is an elite fourth rusher, and he's an elite fifth rusher. And because he can be the fifth rusher, He can fit on the rush, and he understands how to craft himself into the pocket and make plays. It's rather unique. I think if he continues on this trajectory, he's going to be one of the best defensive players. Now let's hold the horses here. He's not Lawrence Taylor yet, you know, because I think people need to go to YouTube and watch what Lawrence Taylor could do and how he played, but he's really good. Bosa, to me, is on on another level, too. He and Parsons are both a lot. Would you say that's 1A, 1B? (laughs) I would say it's both 1A. They're different, but they're similar. Look, here's the reality. These five guys that I have in the blue chip category, when you're driving to the stadium, your whole offensive scheme is predicated on, we're going to make sure we have a double team on these guys at all time. We have to double. And if we ever don't double them, we're going to get in a problem. And somebody in the press box has to be aware when they're not in the game. Why? Because when they're not in the game, we're going to try to throw the ball more. And we're going to go no huddle to keep them off the field. Right? And Mm -hmm. it's rare they're off. What makes all these five guys so unique is their level of conditioning. They never get tired. They play relentlessly. They rush relentlessly. It's a hard thing to do. You're doing sprints, sprints, sprints. These guys have great conditioning. And all these five guys, whether it's Bosa, Parsons, Garrett, Crosby, or Watt, they can speed to power, which means they can take a tackle and push them back. And that's really important. Whereas like a Dockway signed the other day with the Bears. He's, he's a rusher that has to run up the field. And he's typically past the quarterback. He doesn't ever turn speed to power, which is why he's on his 16th. So, these five guys are just completely different, and they create problems for your defense.
2: For our radio um, audience who didn't see the graphic, the five in the blue chip category for edge rushers, Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, and TJ Watt. And because I am a 49ers fan, I got to dive a little bit deeper on on Bosa here real quickly. Just because I was so impressed with what he's been able to do the last two seasons coming off of the ACL tear. Um, First season off the injury, 15 and a half sacks. Last year, boost that up even more. A league best 18 and a half, 21 um, tackles for loss. Uh, That year, he had 15 and a half sacks as well. Like, he has the pressures. He has the hurries. He has the sack numbers. He's one of those guys that puts the fear of God in you, to your point about being a player that you have to game plan against so much. So for me, if I had to give the edge to one of them. It would be the reigning defensive player of the year over the guy who's favored to win it this season. But both defenses are in really, really good shape with those two guys leading the helm. As we look also to the the red chip category that you have here, Michael, you have two Cowboys between blue chip and red chip and two Steelers players as well, adding in Demarcus Lawrence and Alex Highsmith to this conversation.
3: Right, and, and I mean, look, the, let me start with Hassan Riddick. I had him as a red chip. I think Hassan Riddick's really a blue chip. I think he and TJ Watt should have been the final. I couldn't decide between which one. I went with TJ.
2: That's a great Riddick's point, really Michael, good. because it's like, who do you knock out of the top five to put him in? But he certainly yeah, deserves yeah. to be there.
3: Yeah, I think he is. he's a different category. Now, these other guys, Lawrence, Phillips, Highsmith, and Judon, I think they're red chips. Judon hits the quarterback. The other thing we don't talk enough about, we get so focused on sacks, we don't talk enough about quarterback hits, okay. right? If you're coming near the quarterback, let's just go back to Super Bowl 53, I think it was, where the Rams are playing the Patriots, and Jared Goff is getting pressure, and he's got Brandon Cooks open in the end zone, but he throws it a tad too early because of the pressure, and it gets intercepted by Gilmore, right? That is how you create turnovers pressures when the quarterback has to get rid of it before he wants to get rid of it, or he doesn't want to hold on to it because he knows he's going to get clobbered. That's important. Bosa, 48 quarterback hits. Miles Garrett, 41. That's unique. Riddick was the same way. And that separates the elite, right? And that's what creates turnovers. That's what creates turnovers. You know, we had Omar Kelly on. He talked about Jalen Phillips. Jalen Phillips is a really good player. Not a lot of people know how good he is, Same thing with Highsmith. I mean, they just paid Highsmith a ton of money. You realize, you know why Pittsburgh held held the Miami Dolphins offense to 16 points in that game? Because Highsmith and and, and T.J. Watt, I don't even know if Watt was playing in that game, but Highsmith was creating all sorts of problems for their tackles. Judon's another guy that creates pressures. Now, he just got his contract redone because the market has indicated it's gone way up.
2: Yeah, he's done well in New England after Baltimore moved on in 2021. But to, to Heist, your point about Highsmith, like when T.J. Watt was injured, he was phenomenal stepping up. And the reason that I specifically brought up the fact that you have two Cowboys players and two Steelers players is just like to you. What kind of a boost is that to your defense that you've got two guys coming off the edge and endangering a quarterback on the opposite end?
3: Well, it makes it really tough, right? Because you can't slide the protection to Nick Bosa. You can't slide the protection to T.J. Watt because you've got to worry about who's got, who's got Highsmith. I mean, New England has the same situation, too. This is why everybody thinks New England's not going to be very good. Well, I mean, Judon's really good, but Josh Uche could be a star this year. He's in a contract year. He had 12 and a half sacks last year. He was good last year, didn't play a lot, but could rush the passer. They have two edge guys that could really, really create some problems. So when you have that, all of a sudden the protection schemes can't be as diverse as if you only have one. You know, if you want to slide the protection to Parson wherever he is, that means Demarcus Lawrence is going to be one-on-one. What do you want to do? If you're playing the Miami Dolphins this year and you know their offensive line is not very good, the last thing you want to do is rush three guys. Why? Because that gives five guys to block three. Now they're half decent. But if you rush five and make every one of them block one-on-one, they're not very good. That's the key. And so when you get one-on-one and you got a guy that has to block Lawrence or someone, you know, when you go back and watch Washington and, and play the Giants, I mean, you know, the, how those one-on-ones are created, it becomes problematic for the quarterback because now all of a sudden he's getting pressure. In any game, or the Cowboys and the Giants, any of those games, and the good defensive fronts, will bring five and play zone behind it.
2: Josh Uche, along with Montez Sweat and Aiden Hutchinson, the young gun from the Detroit Lions on your edge rushers to watch list. If you want a more complete and comprehensive breakdown of all of these top edge rushers in the league. Make sure you download the GM Shuffle podcast with Michael and Femi Abebefe do a great job every week. New episodes dropping Monday and Thursday. And you're continuing to go through blue chip, red chip for every position up until we get to Mm -hmm. week one of the NFL season where you're going to kind of cap the top of the mountain with quarterbacks, oh yeah,
3: we well, have quarterbacks. Can't you wait for that? You know, who's I'm excited be in my for blue that chip. drama. You know that, you know that. Yeah, you know that. <laughs>
2: yeah, but it's I the red chip where name, the drama is going to come, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, I think Millie could do the blue chips. So I think the red <laughs> chips become a little harder.
2: You'll love to see it. Um, Okay, we're going to take a quick timeout here. When we return, Thomas Gable, director of the race and Sports Week at the Borgata, will join us to discuss a topic that I usually love. But this week, cannot stand college football. Don't go anywhere. This is the Lombardi line on Beeson.